0: that I teach is flipping the leadership paradigm. Basically, it's servant leadership, what's extra to make our customers satisfied and our employees satisfied. The higher the morale, the higher an employee feels heard and valued, that productivity goes up as well. One of the top things that I do is I have to instill our organizational values in all of these employees and make sure the decisions that we make follow these organizational values. It's respect for others, fairness, ethical practices, and equitable treatment for all. If it meets that four-way test, I know I'm doing the right thing. Does law enforcement need to fix problems in the country? Of course, certainly, absolutely. But I would say the incidents that we see on social media or television, on the news, That's not overly reflective of the over 60 million contacts law enforcement officers have with the public uh, across the country. We employ a lot of good, awesome people that do a lot of awesome things. I'm proud to be a part of it.
1: The voice you just heard is Captain Christopher Sherry of the California Highway Patrol. Chris sold Cutco in my very first branch office, and he has gone on to a long and illustrious career with the CHP. In addition to his duties as commander of the Dublin area, Chris has been responsible for leadership training with the CHP statewide. In this conversation, he shares some of the key values and guiding principles for his organization and some of the challenges being faced in law enforcement today. My view is that Chris provides a wonderful reflection of the law enforcement profession and one that I wanted this audience to hear about. I know you'll learn a lot from this episode and I'm excited to share it with you today. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector Experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I am excited uh, about my guest today. It's Captain Christopher Sherry of the Dublin area, California Highway Patrol. Chris sold Cutco back in the summer of 1990. It was my first branch office that I ever ran as a uh, young Cutco rep and manager. And we worked together during that summer. We also grew up in the same general area, have a lot of mutual friends. And Chris has been with the CHP now for 26 years. He is the commander of the Dublin area CHP. I have been looking forward to having a member of law enforcement on the podcast for quite some time. Uh, I've got some cousins in law enforcement, some other former colleagues and friends in law enforcement, and uh, just really wanted to give a voice to a law enforcement officer. And it finally has come together here today. Chris Sherry, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me on the podcast. It's an
1: honor. All right. Excellent. Well, listen, it's been a turbulent last couple of years for the law enforcement field, um, really since uh, the George Floyd incident in particular. And I would love for the audience to be able to hear about your own personal experience of the last couple of years and just what it's been like being part of law enforcement.
0: The George Floyd incident, damage my profession's trust with the public and it's a really it's a great example of how one incident can erode years or even decades of trust that's been built up with the community. It's also an example of your reputation could be tarnished for years after that. So that's something that we're dealing with as a profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, does law enforcement need to fix problems in the country? Of course, certainly, absolutely. But I would say the incidents that we see on social media or television, on the news, that's not overly reflective of the over 60 million contacts law enforcement officers have with the public uh, across the country. Any misconduct is unlawful. Any use of force that's unlawful is horrible. It's unacceptable. And my personal experience since the George Floyd events you know, that launched mid-summer of 2020 it was a very challenging time for law enforcement. Challenging for me as a leader, personally, professionally. We had large spread civil unrest across the country. So here in the Bay Area, there was hot spots of protests, demonstrations. So we have tactical alerts, days off or canceled. We're you know running officers on overtime. At the same time, there's a pandemic going on, and that's new to us. So in my leadership role, I'm looking at things that I never had to do before, like how do we test uh, our employees for a a virus? How do we get PPE? How do we get vaccinations? How do we work with the county and the state? And at the same time, all of our employees, they have families who are concerned. So we're a 24-7 operation. We, We didn't get to shut down during the pandemic. We, we didn't, you know, stay at home, work from home. We still have to go out and serve the public. So that presented some challenges for me.
1: Yeah. Wow. I love what you said, Chris, about the uh, the fact that there's 60 million contacts. Is that annually? Yes. With law enforcement and the public. And so the things that we see in the news, the things that we see on social media, while they are real, while they are troublesome in some ways, they're not reflective of the entire law enforcement field and just what really goes on as people like you are doing your very, very commendable job on a day-to-day basis. I think that's an important message for people to hear right up front here.
0: Absolutely. And of course, there was a lot of pushback against law enforcement during that time in the years to come with police reform and all that. And my job is to keep my employees focused. On our mission, no matter what their family members are telling them or friends and family, we have a job to do, and our mission of the Highway Patrols provide the highest level of safety, service, and security, and that never stopped during that time. But my job is to keep everybody motivated, and one of the things I share with them are surveys that our department gives to the public. Anybody can go online at the CHP website and talk about how the CHP dealt with them at a crash, an arrest a ticket, or maybe they got helped. These surveys ask the public questions about the officer's professionalism. What was their overall performance? Were they able to address their questions and concerns? Were they competent? And these surveys go out to people that have been arrested by the highway patrol, have been involved in collisions, have gotten tickets. And the feedback is overwhelmingly positive. And I let them know, hey, look, Here's surveys that went out to the public that say people were highly satisfied with the service and the professionalism that you provided. And I also remind them that the majority of people support law enforcement and don't get down on what you see or what you hear. You are supported. And there are a ton of people that let us know during that time. And and that was great. That kept everybody focused and wanting to do a good job.
1: Yeah, well, that's great to hear. I definitely want to go on record here today as a supporter of you, as a supporter of law enforcement in general. I have cousins and friends and other former colleagues in the law enforcement field. We've talked about my cousin, Gary Paul, who's a part of the CHP. I've got a cousin, uh, Doug Moretto, who was a police officer for many years. Uh, I have a former colleague, Scott Sutton, uh, who's been a police officer for many years I'm very happy to have seen the defund the police movement lose traction because my reflection is obviously these people that I know that are in the field and I know how passionate they are and how much they care about what they do. At the same time, you've acknowledged that are there changes that need to be made or improvements, of course, and and I'm wondering what you view as some possible positive changes that can be made or that are already being made with law enforcement procedures. Law enforcement,
0: like any other profession, it must evolve. It it has to. And right now, there are laws that are being proposed or have been passed already that affect law enforcement all across the country. Laws affecting transparency, use of force, reporting data. I think those are all good things. Five things that law enforcement can focus on to be effective and to progress from the situation, we have to look at, number one, is people. Hiring the next generation of law enforcement officers, people of good character. Diversity is important. Hiring people reflective of the workforce in the community that the people are serving. And we want to hire people who have a servant heart, who want to give back, want to serve. The next point would be policy. Things like use of force, transparency, things like that need to be addressed in departmental policies. My department is accredited by CALIA, which is an external entity. CALIA was started by International Association of Chiefs of Police, the National Sheriff's Association, Peace Officer Research Forum, and the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. Why do I tell you all this? What it means, we send up all of our procedures, our policies, everything we do, and it's validated, and it's put up against the best practices in the world. And that gives me, as a leader, a lot of confidence that you know at 2, 3 in the morning when our officers are out there in a high-speed pursuit or they're doing a searching or something, what they're doing is an accredited policy. It's the best of the best policy. And things like racial profiling and First Amendment and 14th Amendment is all in there. So that's good. So having good people, having great policies. And then next is supervision. Have to address items at the lowest level. It could be misconduct. It could be a a minor violation of policy. Whatever it is has to be addressed before things snowball into larger issues or problems. And having supervisors, having people out in the field, ensuring that pursuits, use of force, even a, a traffic investigation, everything is going right. It's very important to have a level of supervision and then management. So, if people, policy, supervision, and then discipline. And that goes back to addressing issues at the lowest level, having courage to take on incidents. And also, in our profession, people have to be not afraid to be their brother and sister's keeper because a lot of things can be addressed peer to peer and before there is an issue. And then the final point is community engagement. Building trust in the community is paramount. And there's uh, many ways to do that. You have your programs, you have social media, you have transparency, but building community engagement, that's the key point there out of the five. Nice. Right Right now is actually a great time for law enforcement to shine. Some people say, wow, it must be very challenging to be in law enforcement. I go, it's a great time to be in law enforcement. There's a lot of work to do and we do a lot of great things. So let's show the public some of the great things that we do.
1: Nice. So you started out by sharing that hiring is one of the key spots, right? Getting the right people that have a servant heart, hiring a diverse organization that's reflective of the communities that uh, it serves, the idea of the accredited policies. So you're using best of best practices, supervision that addresses issues early, right? Because obviously everybody's going to make a mistake now and then in in how they operate. And and that's part of how we learn. And, you know, having those things addressed and taught and handled early, you talked about discipline and then community engagement. Do you have some examples of, you mentioned that community engagement is really important. Do you have examples of how you guys are engaged in your community to build that right relationship and build that right vibe?
0: Sure. One of the programs that we do is called Coffee with a Cop. And we will bring a few officers and we'll go to a local business. One, we're supporting local businesses. Two, we're interacting with the public. And a lot of times, people's only interaction with law enforcement is on the side of the highway, or highway patrol. It's on the side of the road. They're getting a ticket. They're involved in a crash, maybe a DUI arrest, right? It's not positive, unless we're helping them. And that's positive. But being at a coffee shop and just talking and we can answer questions and they say i always wondered about this or how about that and there's a lot of great ideas that come from this interaction and then it also shows the public hey these these officers aren't robots they have families they they have a diverse backgrounds uh, and they could have a great conversation and break down some barriers so that's one program as coffee with a cop one example
1: of a community engagement excellent good stuff good stuff Chris, if I was having coffee with a cop and they said, you know, what question do you want to ask the CHP? I'd ask them like, how can we get these slow drivers to stay out of the left lane?
0: That is frustrating, especially if somebody just says, you know what, I'm going to rush around them and cut them off and keep going. Yeah, slow drivers. Although I'd rather have a slow driver than people driving 115.
1: (laughs) Yes, indeed. But if you do like to drive at the speed limit, everyone, public service announcement, move out of the left lane. That needs Mm -hmm. to be an outlet for people traveling a little bit quicker. All right, enough on that. Had to drop that in somewhere. Chris, take us back to when you first got into CHP. How did you decide this was the profession for you? And how'd you get started?
0: So I was graduating from Chico State. And I was a political science major and had a paralegal certificate, and I was looking to go to law school. And I was accepted to a couple of law schools, but they weren't the schools of my choice, and it was an awful lot of money. And uh, I was kind of torn, like, do I really want to take this leap and uh, pay all that money and get the loans and be in debt and go to law school? Now, at the same time, I come from a family of law enforcement officers. My older brother was already in the California Highway Patrol. He'd been in the department for seven years. And uh, him and I, we are the fourth generation of law enforcement in our family. Going back to my great-grandfather was a San Francisco police officer. And my grandfather and my uncle and my cousins. So here we are. We're the fourth generation of law enforcement. And it was, it was kind of like the profession grabbed me. And I realized, you know, that's what I really wanted to do. You know, I grew up serving. I was in the Boy Scouts and uh, I was in there, called the Leo's with the Lions Club and always doing community service. And uh, it, it was just a natural fit for me. So I applied and went to the California Highway Patrol and then went off to the CHP Academy.
1: Nice. And tell us about a little bit about just how your career has progressed and what are your current duties as a CHP commander? So
0: th- California Highway Patrol Academy was six months long in Sacramento, California. It's a live in academy, which is very different than uh, like a basic law enforcement Monday through Friday, eight to five type academy. Out of the academy, I went to Ventura. And then you know, over the years, I, I got back to the Bay Area. I'll go back to college. I left with a degree and my future wife, now married to her, and I'm in the Bay Area. And uh, I promoted through the ranks and I'm a captain here. I'm the commander of the Dublin area, of the CHP. So some of the job duties that I do, I oversee, uh, I have a lieutenant and I have six sergeants, 60 officers. I have a non-sworn staff. I have senior volunteers and explorers. Overall, about 105 employees. One of the top things that I do is I have to instill our organizational values in all of these employees and make sure the decisions that we make follow these organizational values. And I'll I'll briefly tell you what they are. It's respect for others, fairness, ethical practices, and equitable treatment for all. So that provides a four-way test before I make a decision, before they make a decision, before we do a policy, before I hit send on an email. (laughs) If it meets that four-way test, I, I know I'm doing the right thing. So that's important to make sure that everyone understands the organizational values. Some other things that I deal with is strategic planning, building public trust, working with our traffic safety stakeholders like mothers against drunk driving, working with elected officials, key contacts. I have budgets, contracts, audits, and inspections. We have safety programs. And I'm also would be the incident commander at large emergency incidents, protests, or disasters. Mm -hmm. But those are my core duties as a CHP commander.
1: Great. What are some of the goals or objectives for the, the CHP?
0: We have four main goals. The first would be to focus on and improve employee wellness. And it's more than just having a safe work environment for my officers. We also talk about physical wellness, mental wellness, financial wellness. It's basically investing in our people most organizations will say their their greatest asset are their people. Uh, I believe that they're the ones getting it done. And I want in my organization it's not just the officers on the road. I also have a non-sworn staff, a clerical staff, an automotive technician, a maintenance worker. Without the non-sworn staff, we would come to a grinding halt in about 15 minutes. It's so important like if we just keep arresting people and writing tickets and Producing crash reports, all that goes somewhere and it has to get done. It's, it's a big operation. Our next goal is we want to provide safety to the public, safety through service, and we protect life and property. If we were a business, we would have maybe a bottom line. You know, this is your number. You have to meet that number. This is if you're successful. In law enforcement, in California Highway Patrol, we have what's called the mileage death rate. That is our report card, if you will. All the things that we do, our enforcement activities, our education, our um, training, it all is funneled towards safety and that mileage death rate. And I'll tell you how we figure that out. It's very interesting, actually. They take the number of 100 million miles driven in California and then divide into it the number of fatal crash victims. Mm -hmm. And that number is uh, your mileage death rate. And let's say back in the 80s, it was a much higher number than it is now. And then it started to go down. And I'll ask you this question, Dan. Why do you think the mileage death rate went down from these historic highs in the 70s and 80s? And then in 2010, that mileage death rate was as low as 0.84. Why do you think?
1: Why has the mileage death rate gone down? I mean, one of the things that comes to mind is like the difference in the build of vehicles nowadays versus, you know, what they were like back then. So, but I, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to come up with an answer that has a little bit more to do with what you're doing. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. You have, you know, better technology, right? Airbags. (laughs) You may remember back in the seventies, kids in the back of a station wagon, you know, in the back seat, you know, now we, you know, most it'd be crazy if you weren't wearing a seatbelt now. Right. You know, right. So there was a culture change, better technology. Uh, we have good enforcement. We have better education and training. So in 2010, the mild death rate, our report card is nice and low and then it starts going up, up, up. And it, it's, it's going up and we're, we're, that's, we're trying to attack it. Why would the mileage death rate now all start, start going up?
1: Complacency maybe. I don't know.
0: There's an object on your desk or in your pocket. It's called a cell phone.
1: Oh, yeah. So
0: distracted driving is one of the reasons why the mild death rate went up. And then all kinds of other factors. Legalization of marijuana in California. We studied after that more crashes, more DUI arrests, more impaired driving. So more drivers out there, more miles being driven. So. That is our um, second goal: is the safety through service, and that mileage death rate is so important. We also we provide service to our allied agencies, and um, you know we are the state police. Uh, The Highway Patrol merged with California State Police in 1995, so we do have a large role statewide in that regard. But our third goal is we want to ensure the department is representative in California's diverse communities. That goes back to what we're talking about: hiring from all walks of life and all different parts of the community right now, know this is a perfect time for the plug. We are looking to hire 1000 CHP officers during COVID-19. We had to shut down our Academy and we didn't shut down in the field, but we did shut down the Academy. And then with normal attrition and retirements, we need to hire a thousand CHP officers. So if you know somebody of good character and they have a servant heart chpcareers.com and right. uh, we'll, we'll give them a look. And then finally, <laughs> we want to reimagine, we want to reinvigorate public trust. And that's the community engagement, our us- utilization of social media, transparency, and getting out in the community with programs.
1: That was great. So employee wellness, you, you started off with that as one of the key goals, is the first key goal, safety through service tracking that mileage, death rate, having an organization that's representative of the diversity of California, and then uh, reengaging public trust. So those are some great objectives that that you have. It's cool to be able to gain an insight into that stuff. Now, Chris, I know that you uh, have facilitated training for CHP managers statewide. You personally have done this. What are some of the things that you've taught in that regard?
0: One of the things that I teach is flipping the leadership paradigm. And normally I draw it on a whiteboard. It's a little different explaining it without the visual aid. But imagine any business, it could be Cutco, it could be IBM, CHP. but you have a pyramid and at the top where at the pointy part is your the boss, the CEO, the commissioner, whoever it is. And then the next level down in the pyramid would be Mid management. Then next one down, your supervision. And then at the bottom of the pyramid, the widest part are all of the employees, our greatest asset. And then below the pyramid is the customer base. In, In my case, it's the citizens of California. And yours, it's people you're selling knives to. But it's the customers. Not as much interaction between all of those customers and the top of the pyramid. They're interacting with all of the employees at the bottom. So now Directives come from the top all the way down, and uh, a lot of energy is going down. There's policy, and, and I know your company has rules. There's policy. There's strategic planning. There's you know we have audits and inspections. We have expectations of enforcement and, and service and community engagement, and all of this energy is coming from the top and going down, and the people at the bottom have to now respond to all of those demands. And energy is moving away from the customers. Just imagine flipping that paradigm upside down. Just look at it the other way. And your employees, your greatest asset are at the top. The pointy part's on the bottom, but the the triangle is upside down. You still have the strategic planning and policy and, and audits and inspections and expectations. Those are all important, have to be there. But now, what can we do to this environment to really help these employees, make them feel valued? Okay, here it is. We're going to throw a laundry list of things at it. And a lot of organizations are good at this and some need to work in different areas. Let's have a safe work environment. Let's have the tools needed to do the job. And where I work, we have an EEO, Equal Employment Opportunity Violent or a violation-free workplace. Let's ensure that. Let's have a clean facility, a safe facility, provide training, provide mentoring, opportunities to be heard, support, teamwork, motivation. So now we're throwing all that at the employees, all that energy, and that transfers over to the customer base. Basically, it's servant leadership. It's, hey, what can we do besides all things we're obligated, what's extra to make our customers satisfied, and our employees satisfied. And I call that flipping the leadership paradigm. And I'll tell you, you look at productivity and morale, if they were on a graph, the higher the morale, the higher an employee feels heard and valued, that productivity goes up as well. And if you look at uh, any business where productivity is down, uh, employees' misconduct is up, look at how they're being treated, and look at how they feel valued. So that's flipping the leadership paradigm. I also talk about three rules of leadership. And the three rules, and I got this from Dr. Robert Lewis, who's a pastor, teaches a program called Men's Fraternity. The first rule is accepting responsibility. And uh, I think you would agree with me, if you're a leader in an organization, you know, you have to be responsible for the whole operation. And You can't hide behind, you know. I wasn't there, or someone didn't. I didn't read that. You're responsible. The next is rejecting passivity, being out of the box, being active, being engaged, and then finally leading courageously. Sometimes that's making a difficult choice, but it's doing the right thing. So, when I make decisions, in addition to my organizational values, I always want to take a look in the mirror and see how. I'm doing. Am I accepting responsibility for, my, for this decision, for my position? Am I not being passive? Am I rejecting that passivity? And am I being a courageous leader? And uh, I, I feel it's important to always self-reflect and against whatever values you want to put upon yourself. But those are my three rules of leadership.
1: That was great. Yeah, I love the three rules, accepting responsibility, rejecting passivity, and leading courageously. And, and then flipping the leadership paradigm around and putting people first. There's a lot of talk in our organization right now about how we operate because we've gone through some changes during the pandemic where a lot, lot is done virtually and, and we're trying to find the balance between what we do virtually and what we do in person. And one of the principles that has come up is like, what business are we in? Because obviously, you know, we sell Cutco and if you're a sales rep, you kind of think of it as... You're in a, a sales business. But as leaders in vector marketing, the managers of vector marketing, we don't really view ourselves as being a sales, a sales business. We view ourselves as being a people development business. That what we really do is we help young people gain skills and experiences that are going to transform them and make a difference, right? Changing lives, selling knives, the whole theme of this podcast. The Cutco is the vehicle for that, but putting people first, investing in our people, engaging with our people, spending time with people, making, building morale, building culture, all those things you've talked about, that has to be first and foremost in any successful organization. And, and i I just appreciate how you've shared that that's an important key for you and, and what you teach there at the CHP. Absolutely. Yeah. What are some other leadership principles, Chris, that, uh, you strive to deploy in your own organization?
0: Well, one of them is, I call it, leading from the front. And it doesn't matter if it's a a protest or being on patrol. For me, I need to remind myself, I need to stay connected. And that's being seen out there by my troops. And it's also not falling behind in uh, technology. Uh, Things are changing very rapidly. You go out in our patrol car, and it doesn't look like the patrol car of five years ago, which doesn't look like the one of 10 years ago. There's a computer system. And how do you log into all the different systems? Then on our desktop, there's all these other programs and new wireless videos and all these things. And it's easy to do my job as a commander and forget they're out there, lear- the officers are learning all these new things and have to deal with them on every single stop and every encounter. So it lets them know when they see me doing the job with them that. Hey, he gets it. He understands what what I'm going through. The next is uh, learning from the best. That's what I call it. And you know, as uh, you've probably heard of, as iron sharpens iron, one person you know sharpens another. And I believe that you have to surround yourself with good mentors, people that care about you, and people that can help you to get to where you want to be and do a good job. So if if you were in the Cutco world back in the day, if you knew a Filippo Mancini or a Dan Cassetta, you know, you grab them and say, I want to learn from you. You know, can we do this together? I think, I think that's important. And then my third uh, principle about that is a form of participatory leadership, getting buy in, uh, creating buy in, feedback, soliciting information. You know, a- as the commander, I mean, I make the ultimate decision, but I don't want to make it in a vacuum. And getting feedback from at all levels from the management, supervisors, the ranking, the officers, it helps me see things I didn't know. It helps me make a good decision, and it facilitates teamwork. We say team CHP around here. We wouldn't be a team if I just made a bunch of decisions and said, "Now go do it." And uh, I'm not even going to tell you the why. Just we need to get it done. And we are a paramilitary organization. And if I do give orders, I expect them to be followed. But having a participatory uh, leadership style, that seems to work for me.
1: Great insight. I really like that. And I think that's a great one for anybody listening to take to heart is that, you know, you can be somebody that gives orders, but ultimately having people want to do what you're trying to get them to do is the ultimate in motivation. And that a big part of that comes through this element of participatory leadership. What do you feel, Chris, are some of the greatest challenges that you face?
0: Well, one of my top challenges is keeping my employees safe. I make sure they have the right equipment, right training, the right mindset. And that, that's a top a priority of mine. The next is making sure the employees understand the mission of our department and the direction that we're going, and Communication is a big part of that. Making sure, you know, we talk about community engagement. Every month, uh, we evaluate our officers, not all on how many tickets they write and how many arrests they made, but we actually evaluate them on what level of community engagement did they have, what level of professionalism. It's all important. But the message isn't, hey, if you excel in, you know, handing out stickers to the public and talking at a Starbucks... I don't want any tickets. Right, you have to have a balance of enforcement and education. That's the whole package. That's how we make a difference. Another leadership challenge that I face—it goes back to the communication—is helping uh, employees understand why at all levels. You know the why. Let's say there's a question of staffing. Wow, we're really short-staffed right now. When are we going to get some help? It's my job to make sure that the bigger picture of where the cadets are coming from and how important recruitment is and everybody needs to be an ambassador of recruitment and when the bodies are coming and how that will work right i can't assume that they're going to understand all of that and i and i want to take away their frustrations you know same thing with vehicles or tasers or whatever it is and the why how come this policy came out of you know testing? Well, why are we doing that for COVID-19? Well, I will tell you why. And then we go over that information. But I find a theme, it's communication. Taking the time to make sure employees at all levels understand is very important. And you may have challenges like that in Vector. Big ideas come out. and How do you get every single person to understand it and then you know, follow the direction you're giving?
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and part of that comes back to participatory leadership it's involving and engaging people in the decision making process a lot of the time so that they're a part of it but when they're not a part of it right proper communication is a critical piece of of uh helping them to understand what is the policy what are the reasons why and so that's uh, certainly uh part of the challenges we face as well the the communication element excellent excellent chris anything else you want to say about uh CHP and your role, your career?
0: (laughs) I think we've gone over a lot. I I will tell you, you know, the public may not understand everything that happens with the Highway Patrol, and we just have so much to share. And that's why it's important to have social media, to have communication, to talk about these things. For instance, I talked about how we absorb the state police. I guarantee most people have no idea that. The governor of the state of California, his protective detail is California Highway Patrol officers, right? We're the undercover security detail for the California Chief Justice of the Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals in our Supreme Court, right? And other uh, state-level elected officials, there's CHP officers on horseback, on bicycle, in boats. We have a SWAT team. This is a very different Organization than what you may think of when you think of chips and Punch and John,
1: right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Things have changed.
1: Yes, you
0: know? and we're part of a lot of good stuff. I'll bring up here's one example: is Special Olympics across the country, the largest grassroots fundraiser agency for uh, Special Olympics is law enforcement, and to date, since they started, it's called the Law Enforcement Torch Run. Law enforcement has raised $900 million for Special Olympics. It's going to go over a billion dollars in the next couple of years. And that ensures the program is always free for all of the athletes. And it's not just competing in events. It's also getting health and welfare checkups, adequate footwear. They have a variety of programs. In California, the California Highway Patrol, my agency, is one of the leaders in fundraising against all law enforcement agencies for this law enforcement torch run. And that's something that, you know, the public just doesn't really know unless they're following our Facebook page or something. We employ a lot of good, I mean, awesome people that do a lot of awesome things. It's just a great organization. And if you know anybody who wants to be a part of it, uh, we're hiring a thousand people. I might have mentioned (laughs) CHPCareers.com.
1: Yes. Well, I I appreciate that you said we're a a great organization with a lot of great people. And I commend what you do. I appreciate what you do. And I'm really glad that we were able to talk about some of those things here today. Let's take it back to 1990, Chris. Let's talk about how you got into Cutco.
0: I was reading a newspaper. Now that's an interesting concept nowadays. The the San Mateo Times. That's how I heard about the job too. (laughs) And I saw an ad And uh, I'm going to go do it. And I went and I walked in the door and I saw the brother of a friend of mine. So immediately it was like, hey, Chris. Oh, hey, (laughs) what is this all about? Just go inside the next room. You'll meet Dan and the crew. So, okay. And I remember filling out an application and you actually looked over my shoulder and said, hey, I'm an Eagle Scout too. Right on. And I was like, oh, wow. Hey. (laughs) So I felt at home. (laughs) And, uh, You know, I worked for you there and uh, I learned a lot of just good leadership principles and and things from that time selling Cutco that I I still use today.
1: What do you feel like are the key lessons you learned that are, are applicable to this day for you?
0: One of them was time management. We didn't have the computers and iPhones and things we have now that I use to organize myself. Literally, it was like writing in a notebook. As you know, you're scheduling appointments with people, you're you're doing c- phone calls, you're traveling. I really honed in time management skills. And then one of the things that we, we talked about, you may not remember this, was, hey, when you're calling people to, you know, you would phone people on the phone to schedule an appointment, then go to their house and do a demonstration and make a sale. And it was, you know, if you're laying in bed in your pajamas making phone calls, your overall performance is going to be like you're... In your pajamas in your bed. It's not your best. How about stand up when you talk, wear a suit, you know, practice like it's game day. Now, I transfer that to what I do now, and it's we take training seriously. I take uh preparing, you know, like it's going to be game day. And that's something that I I learned back then. So that that was interesting. And one of the biggest things I learned is about perseverance, persistence, and hard work. It pays off in anything you do. Selling knives, working you know for a business, working in law enforcement. A little persistence, hard work, and you'll do fine. And I wasn't very good at selling knives. I remember you know I'd wear a full suit and go to somebody's house, and I have a briefcase full of supplies. I'm doing the demonstration, and I'm sweating, and I'm, I'm trying hard. And they're like, "I'll take a homemaker set plus eight sick knives." I'm like, really? <laughs> I'll write it up. you I'm know? <laughs> like, hey, can I look through your Rolodex and call more of your friends? You know? <laughs> but it, it started to happen because I was trying hard and I practiced presentation skills, how, how to speak and present yourself. But I think one of the big things with CutGo is you have a good product. You have an awesome product. And I work for the California Highway Patrol and you, you can tell I'm proud of my department and my agency. But when you have a good product, then you want to be an ambassador of it and you go out and you do a good job. I mean, to this day, it's been, shoot, 40 years. And I can tell you all about the Cutco knife with the double D, right? The full, the full tang and the nickel civil rivets, and that handle, that's the same material they make bowling balls out of and Oleander New York. Yeah, right. We got all this great stuff and it sells. And uh, like I said, you know, law enforcement, we have a lot of great stuff and we're doing great things because we have a good product. So
1: I'm proud to be a part of it. Yeah. Excellent. Great stuff, Chris. You got any uh, last words of advice for our audience today?
0: Well, the way I finish a lot of my training classes I provide, I talk about don't be afraid to try new things. Be a little out of the box. and It may work out. It may not. But you learn from it either way. And then you grow. And this applies as being a parent, being a leader in an organization, being a member of a community. But it's okay to uh, give yourself a license to fail. (laughs) Fail more often. Try, learn, grow. And then the cycle repeats itself. And then finally, we're both, you know, we're in the people business. And when I look back at my career, I want to know how will I be thought of? And am I somebody who cares about people or someone who cared more about my career? And I think that's a decision that, or something that people have to contemplate and then decide how they're going to go about their day. But I think it's worth thinking about.
1: Great insight, Chris. Uh, I think that any of us would really love to be remembered as somebody that cared about our people. And that by caring about your people first, we will all have great careers, we'll have great organizations, we'll build something, and we'll be rewarded well for it. So really some excellent insights. Hey, man, this has been great. Love hearing all your stories, love hearing <laughs> about what you're doing, and uh, just all the parallels between what you do and what I do and what any you know others are aspiring to do as a leader as somebody who cares about society and cares about the world and just uh, some really great insights have been shared here today. I very much appreciate having you on. Thanks so much for being a guest on the podcast, Chris.
0: You got it, Dan. Thank you very much.
1: Captain Chris Sherry, everyone, commander of the Dublin area CHP. Hope you learned a little bit of something about the California Highway Patrol and law enforcement in general today over 60 million contacts annually with the public in the effort to provide safety through service. And obviously, the stuff we see in the news and social media is sometimes painful. And it's important to recognize that it really is not reflective of these organizations, these people as a whole and that uh, the overwhelming majority of people in the law enforcement profession are great individuals providing a great service to the public, people like Chris and others. And that's an important thing that I wanted to make sure came across here today that I hope you felt in uh, getting to know Chris and his story. Chris did acknowledge that every organization must evolve, and there, there are things that need to be changed or are being changed in law enforcement. And he detailed how his organization is striving to have people with a servant heart, to have people that are reflective of the communities that they serve, accredited policies to make sure they're using the best of the best practices with effective supervision and discipline when issues arise. And then Chris also talked about the community engagement that they participate in as well. He strives to instill the key values in his organization, has that four way test that he talked about. I love the leadership principles that he has shared as a leadership trainer for CHP managers statewide, leading from the front, learning from the best, participatory leadership. And then his last question was really compelling to me, which is do you want to be known as somebody who cares about his career or her career? Or do you want to be known as somebody who cares about your people? A great question to ponder in terms of how you are viewed as a leader in the organization that you lead and run today or in the organizations that you will lead and run in the future. Hope you enjoyed this one, everyone. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals.